if you want to pull the party, the major party that is closest to the way you're thinking, to what you're thinking, you must, you must show them that you're capable of not voting for them. If you don't show them you're capable of not voting for them, they don't have to listen to you. I promise you that. I worked within the Democratic Party. I didn't listen or have to listen to anything on the left in, while I was working in the Democratic Party because the left had nowhere to go. Because the, the way the Democratic Party is run now for quite a number of presidential cycles is they pick a nominee in a kind of half-assed process that doesn't really represent much of anybody. And then they tell everybody to just shut up. Don't bring up anything that will complicate life for your nominee. You know he's not for you on this. Why badger him? He's not going to be for you for reasons that you don't understand but are good reasons. Shut up. Turn off your brain. You're listening to Hidden History, and I'm your host, Ellis Tucci. Hidden History is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and my website, www.hiddenhistory.show. If you like this episode, then I'd appreciate it if you subscribed on your preferred platform, or gave me a follow on Twitter. My handle is at Ellis A. Tucci. So, anyway... We both heard Lawrence O'Donnell and William Grider in that intro clip, and that, paired with the title of this episode, means that I've got a bone to pick with Joe Biden. So I'm going to take this episode as an opportunity to talk about why Joe Biden is just about the worst goddamn candidate for this moment in history. You're listening to Hidden History, and this is episode 64. I won't vote for Joe Biden. So I'm going to organize this episode by splitting it into three parts. First, I'm going to talk about his record. Then I'm going to talk about his current stances. And lastly, I'm going to talk about Joe Biden as a person. So without further ado, let's get into it. Part one, the record. So first let's talk about where Biden stands on women's issues. Even if I'm going to completely ignore when he said that domestic violence against women uh, was an issue that, quote, we have to keep punching at, Joe Biden was a staunch supporter of the Hyde Amendment from its proposal in 1977 all the way up to June of last year. Now, the Hyde Amendment was first introduced by Henry Hyde in the 1970s as a means of fighting the Roe versus Wade decision. And what that amendment does is make it illegal for federal funds to be used for abortion procedures. What that means is that Medicare can't be used for abortion. To simplify it, the Hyde Amendment is a discriminatory piece of legislation that disproportionately prevents low-income Americans and women of color from getting life-saving medical care. In 1974, Joe Biden said that Roe v. Wade, quote, went too far, and that he didn't think, quote, 
that a woman has the sole right to say what should happen to her body. In 1981, he authored the Biden Amendment, which prevented foreign aid from being used in any biomedical research related to abortion. The next year, he supported the Helms Amendment, authored by notorious segregationist Jesse Helms, which banned NGOs that were the recipients of federal aid from using said aid to perform abortions. That same year, he voted for the Hatch Amendment, proposed by Republican Senator Orrin Hatch, that would have nullified Roe v. Wade by making abortion access a quote, state's rights issue. He voted for the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act of 2003, which punished the doctors who performed intact dilation procedures with two years in prison. He refused multiple times to support the Freedom of Choice Act, which would have made access to an abortion a fundamental right. Biden, quite frankly, has an absolutely dogshit record on reproductive rights. Turns out he also doesn't have a good history on believing victims. It's time for me to briefly talk about Anita Hill. So in 1991, Joe Biden was the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and they were in the midst of conducting hearings for Clarence Thomas's nomination to the Supreme Court. Biden initially promised that Hill, who had accused Thomas of repeated sexual harassment, would be able to testify first. When the hearing time came, he flipped the order of testimony for no reason, breaking his promise and allowing Clarence Thomas to establish the narrative with the opening testimony. Three more women offered corroborating testimony that they wished to share before the committee, and Joe Biden didn't call any of them to testify. He sat idly by as Republicans hurled character assassinations, and then himself asked Anita Hill questions that forced her to go into levels of detail that she described as disgusting. In her 1997 biography, Speaking Truth to Power, Hill wrote that she thought Biden's role on the committee was instrumental in the outcome of the hearings, as his behavior inappropriately favored Thomas's innocence. Of course, if you were to ask him now, Biden would claim that he believed Anita Hill, quote, from the very beginning. Turns out, that's a lie. In Passion for Truth, the memoir of Arlen Specter, another member of the committee at the time, he writes that in 1998, after seven years of using Anita Hill as a political prop, Biden said to him that, quote, it was clear to me from the way she was answering the questions, she was lying. So now let's move on to more of his policy record. Give me a second to talk about the Iraq war. Joe Biden voted in favor of the 2002 authorization for military force against Iraq. Now, if you hear him talk about it now, he says that he only voted for it because he was promised by George Bush that it was not, in fact, an authorization to go to war, but rather what was needed in order for UN weapons inspectors to get into the country. After the 2003 initiation of shock and awe, Biden claims that he realized that he was tricked by the Bush administration and immediately opposed the Iraq war. So let's pick that apart a little bit. Even if it is true, which it isn't, what does that say that Biden got tricked by the brain trust that is George W. Bush? 
But it's really important to recognize that Biden's claim about being tricked is actually a lie. And to prove that, we need to go back to 1998. In 1998, Scott Ritter, who was a UN's weapon inspector, resigned because he claimed that he wasn't being allowed to do his job. In September of that year, he was called in front of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, of which Joe Biden was the ranking Democrat, to testify as to the reasoning behind that decision. It was during this exchange when Biden said the following, quote, You and I both know, and all of us here really know, and it's a thing we have to face, that the only way, the only way we're going to get rid of Saddam Hussein is we're going to end up having to start it alone, start it alone, and it's going to require guys like you in uniform to be back on foot in the desert taking this son of a, taking Saddam down. So as early as 1998, Biden is itching for war with Iraq. And for what? It turns out he never even believed Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. He currently claims that his vote for the 2002 AUMF was to allow weapons inspectors in to dismantle the Iraqi WMD program. But in 2004, during a talk with the Council on Foreign Relations, he said, quote, I never believed they had weapons of mass destruction. So the question is, why did Biden vote for it? Over 200,000 Iraqi civilians directly died as a result of the Iraq War. Hundreds of thousands more have died as a result of the war's impact. Joe Biden voted for the war, which he claims was not a vote for the war, rather a dirty trick by George Bush, in order to supposedly admit weapons inspectors, to inspect the weapons that he never thought they had. I mean, Jesus Christ. And obviously there is a lot more to talk about with Biden and the Iraq war, but I've got a lot of ground to cover in this episode because Joe Biden is riddled with absolutely glaring flaws. Let's talk about his history with segregation. So in 1954, Brown v. Board declares school segregation unconstitutional, but nothing really happens. They say that schools have to desegregate with all deliberate speed, which doesn't really mean anything. And schools remain largely segregated as a result of housing discrimination. As a result, the 1971 Supreme Court case Swan versus the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Board of Education established busing as a viable means to reduce school segregation. For those not familiar with the term, busing is the reassigning of students to schools with the intent of racial diversification. Joe Biden was a rabid opponent of busing, and in another partnership with segregationist Jesse Helms, declared busing, quote, an asinine concept, the utility of which has never been proved. This Helms Amendment stripped the Civil Rights Act of 1964 of its ability to withhold federal funding to schools that refused to integrate. In a 1975 television interview, he said the following of busing, quote, the new integration plans being offered are really just quota systems to assure a certain number of blacks, Chicanos, or whatever in each school. That, to me, is the most racist concept you can come up with. 
What it says is, in order for your child with curly black hair, brown eyes, and dark skin to be able to learn anything, he needs to sit next to my blonde-haired, blue-eyed son. That's racist. Who the hell do we think we are, that the only way a black man or woman can learn is if they rub shoulders with my white child? Holy shit. I mean, in 1976, he introduced legislation that would have prevented the Justice Department from pursuing segregation cases that might possibly result in court-ordered busing. That same year, he introduced more legislation with the innocent name, a bill to clarify the jurisdiction of certain courts with respect to public schools that would have stripped federal courts of the authority to pursue desegregation at all. In 1977, he said, quote, My children are going to grow up in a jungle, the jungle being a racial jungle. In his 2007 memoir, Promises to Keep, he refers to busing as, quote, a liberal train wreck. There's a lot more I could say about this, like how he eulogized notorious segregationist and serial rapist Strom Thurmond as, a brave man whose lasting impact was a gift to us all, or how last August he said this. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids, wealthy kids, black kids, Asian kids. No, I really mean it, but think how we think about it. But again, I need to move on to another topic. I need to talk about criminal justice. There is no better friend to the carceral state than Joe Biden. In 1976, he said that, quote, We must face up to the fact that we don't know how to rehabilitate, that parole boards are not competent, and the certainty of punishment is a deterrent to crime. He ran his first Senate campaign based on fear-mongering about rising crime, which at the time, was actually falling. The next year, he would join the Senate Judiciary Committee, at which point he immediately began to push for mandatory minimum sentencing. During the Reagan administration, he proposed multiple bills that would have given the president's drug czar power to control the attorney general. Biden introduced legislation that massively expanded the Justice Department's ability to employ civil asset forfeiture. He thought Ronald Reagan was soft on crime. Enter Strom Thurmond. In 1981, the notorious segregationist and rapist senator from South Carolina introduced a comprehensive rewrite of the United States Criminal Code, which the ACLU warned would, quote, severely set back civil liberties and individual rights in this country. It successfully passed through the Judiciary Committee, of which Biden was a member. In fact, he voted for it. In 1982, Biden co-sponsored Thurman's legislation that would have eliminated parole and allowed for preventative detention, which is when the government can throw you in jail even if you didn't commit a crime so that you don't commit any in the future. Both of these pieces of legislation failed, but Thurmond and Biden were undeterred. In 1984, they proposed the Comprehensive Crime Control Act, or the CCCA. This was the bill that effectively created modern mass incarceration. 
It's the reason that the United States has the highest prison population of any country on Earth. By 1985, over the course of a single year, and as a direct result of the CCCA, the American prison population increased by 32%. That is an absolutely massive jump. The CCCA also further expanded civil asset forfeiture, allowing agencies to seize people's possessions based solely on probable cause, meaning that they didn't even have to charge or convict you with anything. This led to an astronomical increase in, for example, local authorities pulling over innocent racial minorities and stealing all of their things. The homes of thousands of families were seized because their children or grandchildren were suspected of doing drugs. Then, in 1986, he sponsored the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, which set harsh mandatory minimums for specifically crack cocaine, while being lenient on its powder counterpart. A caveat that was meant to intentionally target the black communities in the throes of the crack epidemic. In fact, the sentencing ratio passed by the Anti-Drug Abuse Act for someone in possession of 5 grams of crack was 100 times more than the minimum sentencing for someone in possession of half a kilo of cocaine. Two years later, he sponsored legislation that would have imposed $10,000 fines on anyone convicted with possession of drugs for personal use, as well as prevent probation, parole, or supervised release of anyone with a possession charge. Joe Biden is directly responsible for ramping up the war on drugs that has destroyed the lives of hundreds of thousands of Americans. Joe Biden would go on to author the 1994 Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act, which he referred to as the Biden Crime Bill. The 94 Crime Bill is again largely credited with increasing mass incarceration in the United States, enabling discriminatory policing and imprisoning non-white Americans with reckless abandon. Here's him talking about it on C-SPAN. The president's death penalty proposals, and I might add, the Biden crime bill is before us, calls for the death penalty for 40 51 offenses. A wag in the newspaper recently wrote that something to the effect that Biden has made it a death penalty offense for everything but jaywalking. He's tried to cut or freeze Medicare or Social Security spending four times. And if you have student debt that you can't get rid of, even if you have to declare bankruptcy because of it, You've got Joe Biden's 2005 bankruptcy bill, the Bankruptcy Abuse Prevention and Consumer Protection Act, to thank for that. Joe Biden was known as the senator from MBNA, a predatory credit card company, because he consistently fought for the interests of big banks over the needs of the American people. He's bragged about being one of the most conservative members of the Senate, and the only reason he was Obama's vice president was because he needed an outward conservative to balance the ticket. And just to finish off this section, Joe Biden voted for and was a staunch defender of NAFTA, which allowed big corporations to make off like bandits while offshoring millions of jobs in middle America.
it is now time for part two. Current stances, or lack thereof. So, this is going to be a pretty short section, because Joe Biden has no real policy proposals. I mean, seriously, just try and think of a flagship Biden policy. You can't do it because there aren't any. As a result of this, I'm going to have to talk about what he opposes. All Joe Biden represents is a return to normalcy, which demonstrates a fundamental misunderstanding of how quote-unquote normal caused massive suffering and directly gave us a Trump administration. Return to normalcy and respectability in politics are MAGA for liberals. Biden's pathetic health care plan leaves 10 million Americans uninsured while maintaining predatory private insurers. As a matter of fact, on March 10th, 11 days ago at the time I'm writing this, Joe Biden said that if Congress put Medicare for All legislation on his desk, he'd veto it. The Sunrise Movement gave his climate plan an F. I mean, how is it possible to get that low of a score? And this is the guy whose steady hand is supposed to guide us through these tumultuous times? In January of this year, Joe Biden said that, quote, not a single solitary scientist thinks that the Green New Deal can work. That's just an outright lie. He's consistently opposed the federal legalization of weed and the record expunging of nonviolent offenders who were imprisoned for drug charges. And you know why? Because he put them there. Joe Biden doesn't have what it takes to meet this moment in history. He's the answer to the critical question of, what if Walter Mondale had dementia? And the fact that the Democratic establishment is telling us to shut the hell up and accept their pick is absolutely disgraceful. And with that, it's time to real quick move on to my last section of this episode, which is part three. You know, you know the thing. So there's a lot to talk about with this, but what it really boils down to is the fact that Joe Biden is not a good person. There are a lot of obvious things to talk about that support that claim. Believe me, I'm gonna get to the hair smelling. But first, I need to talk about the fact that Joe Biden lies. A lot. So Joe Biden has actually run for president three times, in 1988, 2008, and right now. In 1988, he was actually forced to drop out of the race because he plagiarized his stump speech and lied about his academic record. After his initial plagiarism was discovered, we learned that he had also stolen the words of Bobby Kennedy and had plagiarized an entire law review article during his first year at law school. Here's Biden talking to reporters about his academic accomplishments in New Hampshire in 1987. What law school did you attend, and where did you place in that class? And the other question oh, is, yes. could you quickly... I think I think, we I, I, think I probably have a much higher IQ than you do, I suspect. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. In the first year in law school, I decided I didn't want to be in law school and ended up in the bottom two-thirds of my class, and then decided I wanted to stay, went back to law school, and in fact ended up in the top half of my class. I won the International 
national moot court competition. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only need 123 credits, and I'd be delighted to sit down and compare my IQ to yours if you'd Senator, like, Frank. Not, if I could say one thing, I think just in my own opinion, I'm not questioning your IQ. Um, note, every single statement that Biden makes here is an absolute lie. It turns out that at Syracuse Law School, out of a class of 85, Biden placed 76. Uh, he did not attend on a full academic scholarship, but rather on a partial and need-based scholarship, and did not graduate with three degrees as the outstanding student of the political science department. Joe Biden lies a lot. He also lies consistently about his civil rights activism. Let me play you a few clips here from across the past few decades. When I marched in the civil rights movement, I did not march with a 12-point program. I marched with tens of thousands of others to change attitudes, and we changed attitudes. When I was 17 years old, like many of you, I participated in sit-ins to desegregate the restaurants and movie houses of Wilmington, Delaware. I came out of the civil rights movement. I was one of those guys that sat in and marched and all that stuff. When I was a teenager in Delaware, for real, I got involved in the civil rights movement. We have the eighth largest black population in America. Most people don't know that. And uh, I'd go to 8 o'clock mass, then I'd go to Reverend Herring's church where we'd meet in order to organize and figure where we were going to go, whether we are going to desegregate the Rialdo movie theater or what we were going to do. I got my education, for real, in the black church. And that's not hyperbole, it's a fact. But I got my education, Reverend Doc, in the black church. Not a joke. Because when we used to get organized on Sundays to go out and desegregate movie theaters and things like that, we'd do it through the black church. I was no big shakes, Reverend, in the Civil Rights Movement. I was just a kid. I got involved in desegregated movie theaters and helping, you may remember, Reverend Moyer in Delaware and Herman Holloway organized voter registration drives, coming out of black churches on Sunday, figuring how we were going to move. In October, uh, I was invited to uh, the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis to receive the Freedom Award. A thing when I sat in black churches on the east side of Wilmington getting ready to, and by the way, next to Jewish, two Jewish rabbis, uh, getting ready to go out and desegregate movie theaters in Delaware. Um, I never, ever thought in my life I would be worthy of, and I'm still not sure I'm worthy of it. Now, here's a clip of him from 1987. During the 60s, I was, in fact, very concerned about the civil rights movement. I was not an activist. I worked at an all-black swimming pool in the east side of Wilmington, Delaware. I was involved. I was involved in what, what they were thinking, what they were feeling. I was involved, but I was not out marching. I was not down in Selma. I was not anywhere else. I was a suburbanite kid who got a dose of exposure to what was happening to black Americans when I in my own city. So it's obvious that he's just lying about his credentials. He knows that it's not true, and he must know that this is something that's easy to fact check. But he does it anyway. 
Last week, in a really bizarre online town hall, Joe Biden claimed that he was a co-sponsor of the Endangered Species Act, which he wasn't. He claimed in the last debate that he never argued in favor of freezing Social Security and Medicare, which isn't true. I would say that we are already entering into an era of post-truth politics. I mean, how can we expect Biden to have any kind of credible attack against Trump's approach to truth in a general election when Biden himself has consistently demonstrated that he doesn't care about telling the truth? Biden has also regularly demonstrated outright contempt for the American people. Remember that time in Iowa he called a voter fat, uh, said he was a damned liar and challenged him to a push-up competition? Remember last week when he threatened to slap an auto worker? Remember when an Iowa man asked Biden to commit to more aggressive climate change proposals and he told him to vote for someone else? Remember when that happened a second time? You remember when he said this? The younger generation now tells me how tough things are. Give me a break. No, no. I have no empathy for it. Give me a break. Because here's the deal, guys. We decided we were going to change the world, and we did. And now for the final part of this episode. The part you all knew was coming, and the thing that by itself should be immediately disqualifying. The fact that eight women have accused Joe Biden of touching them inappropriately or invading their space in a way that makes them uncomfortable. He's refused to apologize for such behavior, saying that, quote, he's not sorry for anything that he's ever done. I mean, Jesus Christ, this guy is just an absolute psychopath. And if anyone thinks that Joe Biden is a strong enough opponent to unseat an incumbent president, then I'm sorry, but you should get your head checked out. Biden is the embodiment of the rampant neoliberalism that has gutted the American people in the post-war era. He is not the cure to our current political predicament, he is the cause. And I'm not even going to devote time in this episode to talking about how his brain is in the process of turning into oatmeal, because this script is already running a little bit long and I'm a day behind on my release schedule. Suffice it to say that if Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee, then we'll have a two-term Trump administration. Biden represents the establishment which Trump and his supporters so gleefully attacked. There is not a single issue on which Biden can challenge Trump without opening himself up for a devastating attack. He can in good faith criticize Trump's draconian immigration policy when his normal president, Barack Obama, deported millions of people and actually started the immigrant concentration camps that Trump has dramatically expanded. Trade, foreign policy, healthcare, debt relief, and reproductive rights are also off-limits due to Biden's record. I'll remind all of you listening that this primary is not over. And if you want to be able to defeat Trump, then I suggest that you don't attempt to shame us into voting for a candidate who has all of the same tendencies cloaked in a shroud of respectability. Thanks for listening. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History, signing off. <laughs>